My name is Jen Buchholz. I'm a forensics and criminal justice professor at American Military University, an Army veteran, and a criminal investigator for my local sheriff's department. I'm George Jarrett. I'm an investigative journalist and award-winning true crime author. Together, George and I are the lead investigators for AMU's cold case investigative team. This season, we're working to break the case for the family of Linda Malcolm. This podcast contains details and descriptions of actual homicide victims and their injuries, including sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Break the Case. She was a fighter. She used to fight boys when we went to school. She used to fight a boy for me one time. She never put up no crap. That's a clue too. The fact that she was able to put up quite a fight against this person tells us that the killer was not able to overpower her immediately, which probably right. gives us a clue about their size because she's got extensive defensive wounds. She had a lot of stuff in her that she never told us a lot. She wouldn't be really tough, but yeah, when she got around all the sisters, we talked to her and then she'd cry. But we knew something was going on. And that was night she was tearing on about. She was afraid of people. I told her, I said, you need to talk to us because something's wrong. I didn't know what she was going through, but I feel like maybe I should have known more. I should have known more about her life because we know so little. In November 2022, I flew to Washington for a few days to meet with local officials, media members, and seek out friends of Linda's. Unfortunately, George had prior engagements surrounding the election and wasn't able to join me, but we spent a lot of time on the phone while I was there. Once I'd conducted some on-the-ground research and met with the local newspaper and investigative officials in Port Orchard, George and I went public with our efforts. We set up an anonymous email tip line, tips at justiceforlinda.com. That's the number four. So people could confidentially reach out to us with information that might be critical to Linda's murder. We have the ability to receive tips at that address, strip the person's identifying information to allow them to remain anonymous, and pass just the content of the tip to the detective at the Port Orchard Police Department. George and I also set up a Facebook group called Unsolved Murder of Linda Malcolm to establish a community forum where people could share information about Linda, insight into what was going on in Port Orchard in 2008, and discuss details and theories about her case. We encourage anyone who's interested in learning more or helping our investigation on Linda's case to join the group. All we ask is for members to be respectful and keep conversations constructive. We also started posting content to our Twitter account with the handle BreakTheCaseAMU. In doing so, many people who knew Linda came forward to us. One of those people we connected with was a gentleman by the name of Glenn Lees. Hello, Jennifer. Hey, Glenn. How you doing? All right. Well, I think things are progressing pretty well with Linda's case. So the detective, she agreed to meet with us on Monday, May 1st, because we're going to be up there that weekend for the 15th anniversary. And on Washington? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, right on. Mm-hmm. So I was really happy that she cleared her schedule for us that day. So I, I, feel, I feel good right now about how things are going. I've been trying to just talk to a few of Linda's friends or people that knew her and just mm-hmm. get a little recollection of their memories of her and stuff like that. Can you tell me how you met Linda or what your first memory is of her? I met Linda when I was with Doug, because Doug already knew her. Mm-hmm. And I was at um, the Blue Goose, the little hole in the wall. 
Those are the best sometimes. Yeah. And we were playing pool and talking and just shooting the breeze and became friends from that point on. Mm-hmm. What, how would you describe her personality? Um, bubbly, happy, happy-go-lucky. Mm-hmm. Personable, I guess. Yeah, personal, friendly, good to be around, uh-huh. fun to be with. And do you remember if she had a significant other during any of that time that you knew her? Apparently she had a boyfriend, but I never did meet him. Did you ever meet any of her girlfriends? Anybody that she hung out with? Or did, like, did, did you know any of her crowd? I never did see her with another girlfriend. Okay. She's always, by herself. Really? Okay. Almost every time I met her or ran into her, she was usually by herself. Uh-huh. She visited with Doug and I, because Doug and I, we always did side jobs together. So that's how we got along so well yeah. for 30 years. So you guys would hang out and then... Linda would run across her path periodically. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. We didn't go out looking for her or anything right. like that. But there is one thing that she told us she was doing when she'd go to the Blue Goose. She would go park over in the Washington State Ferry parking lot. Okay. There's a walk on ferry to go to the shipyard in Bremerton. Mm-hmm. It's just a little 80 person boat um, or maybe 60 person. She would park over there so she felt safe that Keith wouldn't find her. A note to listeners that Keith was Linda's ex-boyfriend. He passed away in 2009, a year after she was murdered. So unfortunately, he's not available for us to talk to in person. Oh, so she didn't want her, like, uh, he was driving around looking for her car? Yeah, or drive by the places and see if she was there. Wow. So she'd blend in with... um all the um, shipyard workers that parked in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. There's probably two or three hundred cars in that parking lot, maybe two hundred. Yeah, just the ferry. Mm-hmm. That came to my mind the other night, and I said, oh, "I gotta let you know that." Yeah, I appreciate um, that. Do you remember if she was still doing that, like up until the time of her death? Uh, I don't know. Okay. But it was recent to the months prior. Okay. That helps. But you specifically remember her telling you about yeah. the tactic she, she was using. And and she always looked at Doug and told Doug. Uh-huh. And I would just listen. And I'd, I'd still talk to her about it or whatever, but she was always more directed at Doug, letting him know. I think she felt confident in him. She felt secure with Doug. Yeah. I guess that's how I put it. Okay. And she already knew him longer than me. So, mm-hmm. so she had a good bond with Doug. He'd be a lot of help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really wish he was here. Me too. Me too. I was just kind of heartbroken when you told me he had passed away. Yeah. I know you are too. I sure wish he was here for this. Yeah, I know. Well, I don't know what you believe in in terms of afterlife. I don't really know what I believe in, but maybe he's up there with her and he already knows the whole story that we're chasing yeah, after, you know? exactly. Yeah. Maybe he'll show us, throw us a sign or something. <laughs> Send us some signal. Um, exactly. Yeah, Doug, yeah, if you're listening. That's what I keep saying to myself, exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> Doug flew me in, Doug. Mm-hmm. So what can you remember about the last time that you saw Linda? She came into the high tide and sat down at the corner of the bar. She wasn't very happy that day. Did she say why? No. She didn't um, bring it up. It was written all over that she was not happy or she was nervous and mm-hmm. 
and the side of the bar, she was sitting at the high tide. She was looking, just kind of like staring straight up. They all had solid plate glass windows all the way on two sides of the bar. Uh-huh. One side, you can look right up Puget Sound straight over to the Washington State Ferry in the shipyard. And she was just like staring straight out there, thinking hard. So she was kind of off in another world or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. She was there, but she wasn't there. Yeah. Did she talk to you guys at all? Yep. She sat right with Doug mm-hmm. on that corner, facing towards um, the windows. Said she was moving. But she didn't tell us that she had a place then. Okay. That was on Sunday. I don't know when it was dated that you got the paperwork. She put the deposit on that Saturday, which would have been the 26th. Which means you saw her April 27th, if you saw her on Sunday. Yep. Yeah, she had just put the deposit on the apartment. Actually, it was more like a townhome the day prior yeah. to you. Yeah, I, I know exactly what they look like. Yeah. Yeah. I had some friends that used to live in there. Okay. But she didn't mention that she had already got a place. Huh. Maybe she didn't want, Maybe she didn't want us to know yet. Yeah, maybe she wasn't telling people because nobody I've talked to so far has said they knew for sure where she was moving. Not, I don't think exactly. so. That's exactly mm-hmm. how we thought, that she was still searching. And then Keith was going to be bringing over boxes. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what she was worried about. She didn't want nobody to know where she was moving to. Could be. Because Doug says, well, I'll help you move. Uh-huh. Well, I'll let you know. Yeah, some other people said they offered as well. One lady actually said she was supposed to help her move, but uh-huh. but she wasn't moving that far away. You saw my map. It's only like two and a half mile drive. Yeah. So it's like, right. even if she didn't tell anybody, four eventually, five away from, yeah, four or five minutes. people were going to find out at some point. Yeah. But she maybe just didn't want word to get around for a while. Then I started putting two to two together. Like I told you, Doug said he offered to help her, and she says, well, I'll let you know. Did she mention renting a U-Haul or anything like that? Do you remember she talked about that? Nope. She didn't mention a U-Haul. Okay. She didn't mention anything except that she had to get all of her stuff boxed up. And mm-hmm. she needed boxes and Keith, yeah. I don't know how Keith got involved in it or... Right. But she said Keith would stop unexpectedly all the time. Okay, at her house? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she didn't like it. And so mm-hmm. it was hard to get him to leave. Because usually he was messed up. Yeah. And that's what she hated about it. Is there anything else you can remember from that day? Anything else she said or that you guys talked about? or? I do remember asking her if she wanted to play a pool. And Doug says, or even darts. We can all play darts. Because mm-hmm. Doug was a, like a pro dart player. Oh, wow. <laughs> he was really good. But she said, no, I don't feel like it today. Okay. Because it shows more of her demeanors, um, not being very up and going. And about how long do you think she stayed there with you guys? It's like one schooner. So 20, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. So not very long. No. It's like she was antsy and no place to go, but one to go. Mm -hmm. And so how did you find out that she died? That day at the Blue Goose. It was that afternoon of that day because I worked at um, Bainbridge Island. We built 180, 82 condos. Mm-hmm. 
So you would so, go to the Blue Goose after work? Yeah, I was on my way home. So okay. I just drive along the water going all the way to Manchester. Uh-huh. And the high tide and the Blue Goose, and we're all right there on the water. Mm-hmm. So it was just a stop and then five minutes to home. Okay. So that day you went in, and what can you remember about what was said or who told you or anything? I think it was... I believe it was Kenan, and Kenan's dead too. Shoot. <laughs> Kenan was—he was the son of the owner of the Blue Goose. They owned the Blue Goose and the Red Dog. Okay. And was it known that day that she'd actually been murdered, or was it more just obviously people knew about the house fire? It was more that they found out that the, she had died in a house fire. Okay. It wasn't until a few days or maybe a week later we found out she had been stabbed mm-hmm. multiple times. So what did you think when you heard that? I was shocked. Yeah. We were just talking to her. I know. It, it is so shocking. That is the word for it. So what's your leading theory on what happened to Linda? Doug and I Talked about it all the time. We believed it was Keith. Because mm-hmm. of how she wanted to stay away from him. So no matter who the perpetrator is, what do you think, like, what do you think the situation was leading up to her being attacked? I really don't have an answer for that. Yeah, I know, it's hard. It, it's all speculation, but, I mean, obviously somebody was mad or yeah. most likely in a rage. I know Keith had a hot temper. Did he? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, well, For some reason, Faye keeps coming into my head as his ex-girlfriend. Okay. For some reason, that's starting to really pop into my head. Okay. Any idea if she's still alive? I don't know that. Okay. I'll take note of that name, though. It's been about 18, 19 years ago that I've seen her. Mm -hmm. That's when she split and left the county, got family friends to help her move. Okay. That's how she got out when he was at work. So she was moving because she had to get away from him. Yep. So he has a history of, sounds like a minimum harassment, maybe stalking, maybe some yes. domestic violence. He's close to it. He never got arrested for it, but he yeah. was close. Uh-huh. I could see his outrage. I just know Linda didn't want to ever go back over there after that. Okay. That's how bad she didn't like him. And how do you think Linda would have reacted once she realized, like, this person has a deadly weapon and they're coming for me? Well, she'd be definitely startled. Sure. Do you think she's a fighter? Like, I mean, everyone's going to fight for their life when they're under attack. But do you think she would have, like, some women, unfortunately, are just smaller stature and, like, get overpowered more easily? Yeah, Early on, we we talk about our basic training, her and I, and oh. Doug was in the army too, so we all had oh, okay. a military relationship. She goes, "That dang hand to hand combat sure did kick my ass." <laughs> I said, "I liked it." <laughs> I remember us talking about basic training. Yeah. Okay. She would fight, for sure. She would fight, mm-hmm. or do whatever she could to prevent. Yeah. Being murdered. Yeah. I mean, she was and able to... Dad, she was facing him yeah. at one point before she got taken down. Had to be, yep. She, oh. She's got wounds to her front and back. No uh, DNA, though, from her fingernails, huh? 
You know, I don't know the results. I mean, we know that they clipped her nails and took scrapings and stuff, but I don't have the forensic analysis results. So it's possible that they got something, but it didn't match. Right. And I know they did forensic testing. I mean, we have that in writing between emails from the original detective to the family. Well, wouldn't that rule out um, Keith if it wasn't his? Well, there's some confusion as to whether they actually... W- had Keith's DNA to compare to because he passed away the next year. I know they looked at him as a suspect, but I have no idea at what point in their investigation they looked at him. But it's the family seems to be under the impression that investigators did not have a sample of Keith's DNA. Like I told you, once they started in having him as a suspect, and he just disappeared. Really? Okay. I mean, so he must have been looked at fairly early on because he passed away yeah. a year later. So, right. But they may not have had enough probable cause to get a search warrant to get his DNA. Um, but there's other ways, even though he's passed away now, there's other ways to get his DNA, like through family members. Um, right. So it's it's not a dead end for sure. I but think yeah. they started investigating like um, six, seven months after that happened. Okay. Because that, that's when we started finding out he was being looked at, uh-huh. and then he quit showing up. And that wasn't Keith. Mm-hmm. What was his stature like? Like, how tall do you think he was? How big? Uh, he's my height, 5'10", 5'11". Uh-huh. He might weigh the same amount as me, but um, his arms are really skinny, or biceps are skinny. Mm-hmm. Really wasn't there, just a bone and some meat and a little meat in the skin. But he had a great big pot belly, so that might be his um, alcoholism. Yeah, yeah. So he doesn't sound like he was a very strong guy. Like uh-huh. he had some weight behind him. Yeah, but not he maybe did. a lot of power. So I weighed one seventy-eight. That's, That's pretty average. Uh huh. So I know he weighed that plus wherever his belly was carrying. Yeah. Okay. So probably at least two hundred. Yeah. I know he could overpower, though. I know that much. Yeah. Because of his temper and his attitude, I could see him yeah. just overwhelming her. Because she wasn't that tall. Right. Like 5'6"-ish is what I've been told. Yeah. If that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. mean, obviously the person did eventually overpower her. But I think it's just because, unfortunately, they got a lethal shot in. And once you get one of those lethal shots, especially like she has a puncture to her heart, the right atrium. You don't have uh-huh. very long. You got about 15, 20 seconds before you go down. And of course, we don't know the order of the injuries. That's something our knife expert's going to try to work on with us and a pathologist. Uh, I have to you... believe she got some of those defensive wounds in the beginning. She's fighting. And then probably one of the lethal ones was delivered. And she had a little more fight in her, but then, you know, she was just yeah. too injured. Or she died somewhere else and he threw her in the bed. I know, we've wondered that too. Like, was she purposely put in the bedroom? Yeah, that's what Doug and I always wondered. Yeah, when she has wounds to her backside. When did those get delivered, you know? You would think yeah, those would be where, last. Maybe that's where it started. She got stabbed in yeah, the back. Yeah, maybe. And... Obviously, one scenario is that she was asleep in bed, and the person was able to sneak in the house. And if she was sleeping on her stomach, then like like you just said, it would make sense that the wounds to the back came first. And the wounds to the back... I think there's only one that's lethal. So 
she could have got some of those first and then was able to turn herself over because obviously you can't fight somebody when they're behind you. <laughs> yeah. Was there anything else you can remember that you want to discuss about your friend Linda or the situation? That Keith came in that one day to the Blue Goose when Doug and I were down playing pole tabs, talking, and he walked in from the side door and sat down and just stared at the mirror. There's a mirror in front of him where he was sitting, mm-hmm. back bar mirror, and didn't look at Doug, and he was friends with Doug. But he just sat there and didn't even come and talk to Doug like he normally does. And he stared at the mirror, drank his schooner of beer, and left. Do you remember how long this was after her murder? Oh, a couple weeks. Okay. Was that the last time you saw him? I seen him another time after that, but I, I just passed him on the highway. Oh, the, gotcha. But never did see him in the bar no more. And then that was it. Wow. You mentioned that he was still going to that bar where Linda would go um, yeah. sing karaoke. The Golden Grill. That's what the bartender yeah. told me, that he, he was in there frequently after the murder. No, that was because of Linda. Okay. I can guarantee it was because of Linda. And I guess he would say things like, yeah, I'm the top suspect. <laughs> like, why would you say that? <laughs> Most people aren't going to put themselves in that position. To me, him saying that, I was just trying to say, it wasn't me. So I always ask this of um, family members and friends of victims, but if the killer's alive and they're listening to this podcast, what do you want to say to them? Do the right thing and turn yourself in. Do the right thing. Yeah. I know. I'm sorry that this is really traumatic. I'm sorry to drag you through this. It's okay. Just know that you're helping her by talking to us. No, that's okay. I'll be okay. But I, just know I that, like, up I thought I was doing the right thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's that's a monster. A monster out there somewhere. Yeah. Nice to find out if it was Keith in or out. Mm-hmm. Well, I want you to know, and Doug, even though he's not with us anymore, that we have an extremely powerful team and a lot of connections to experts. This is the only case me and George are working. We only work one at a time. And we're going to throw everything we have at Linda's case. And we're going to exhaust every resource that we possibly can. So just know that she <laughs> she has a team now. And we're going to... Wonderful. Yeah. And we're going to do everything possible to find her killer. So, grateful. Grateful yeah. for your team. Yeah. I hope that gives you a little bit of comfort. But I know this is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Appreciate all the information and the insight. Obviously, we're going to keep in touch. Reach out to me anytime. And just keep keep following our group on Facebook. Because as we move through this investigation, we'll be posting a lot of updates. And as you saw, we have our podcast season going now. And I'm writing a series of articles. And I reached out to like the local TV station yesterday. So we're going to get some more media coverage in the local area too. And that's going to help. Which, um, which station? King five. Yeah. King five. Mm-hmm. So I emailed their tip line and I was like, this isn't really a tip, but you know, <laughs> right. what we're doing, it'll be a fantastic story if you're interested. So we're going to get 
as many people to cover it as possible. And like, we already had the Kitsap Sun cover it, so I know I can get them to do an update, especially when we're in town. And like, when we're up there in April, we're gonna have a meet and greet event and do a fundraiser. And George and I will probably try to give a presentation or something at the local library or some kind of venue so that people can understand our methodology and how our investigative process works. And we literally just did this last weekend in West Virginia for our partner team's case. and. We did a presentation and then we had like a meet and greet and a raffle fundraiser and raised another $2,500 for that victim's reward fund. So, and it's just a great way to get local community members to come out and get engaged and spread awareness and all that and oh, wow. make the killer nervous. <laughs> Apply pressure. Like, yeah, we're not stopping. Are you going to post that on, um, yep. on the group? Oh yeah. Yeah. Probably in the two or three more weeks, I'm going to start calling some venues, but I'm probably just going to call the Golden Grill first because they actually have a pretty good venue and they have a little like karaoke stage. So they already have a sound system set up, which helps if you, oh, have, a, yeah. if you have a big crowd of people, you know. So I was going to contact them first and see if they would host us for two, three hours on like Saturday afternoon or something. All right. Well, I'm not going to keep you any longer, but reach out anytime if you think of anything. And if you speak with anybody else, feel free to give them my number. Um, happy to talk to anybody that is willing and nobody has to be on the record if they don't want to be so it's just about gathering information yeah exactly so thank you so much again I, 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 I wouldn't see anybody not wanting to be on the record some people don't they don't want to get involved or they don't want to appear that they're involved I, it's not this is not about making a podcast right it's, it's about investigation and we're oh. doing what's right for the victim. So the podcast is just one tool we use along the way, but that's not our right. primary focus. So I thought, I thought about, man, do I want to get involved? Do I not want to get involved? I do have something to say. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad yeah. that you did join and, and that you want to help us. <laughs> yeah, I really like Linda. I know, I can tell. I know I would have loved her. <laughs> she, she sounds like my kind of person. Well, hang in there, and like I said, if you have any questions or anything comes up, let me know. I'm always thinking about it. Yeah, Kinda. me too. Thank you so much for your time, and I know that we'll be in touch soon. Thank you for all your time you're putting into this. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's our honor. So, All right, Glenn, I'll let you go. Talk to you okay. soon. Thank you, Jennifer. Absolutely. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye. Cell phones, computers, vehicle data, security cameras, all digital evidence during the investigation of a crime. Today's investigators have to understand how to analyze and solve modern day cases. That's why American Military University is on the cutting edge of criminal justice education with its Bachelors of Science in Digital Forensics. Classes are online with monthly program starts. Learn more at amuonline.com forensics. I met several people in person in Washington who had known Linda. Washington is a two-party recording state, meaning you're supposed to have both people's permission before recording audio. There are loopholes that still allow for recording without the other person knowing, but we at Break the Case do not publish audio of people's voices without their permission. And upon meeting people for the first time, it's awkward to ask if they mind being recorded and it's not great for rapport building. So I don't usually do it and I just take written notes. 
Because of this issue, I don't have a lot of audio from my trip to Washington, but I did want to share the recollections of a man named Don Rio, who lived two doors down from Linda. He and I met up while I was in town. He recalled getting up around 4 a.m. on the morning of April 30, 2008, to go out and fetch his newspaper. He observed Linda's house engulfed in flames and saw that another fellow neighbor, Gabe, was outside as well. Gabe's wife had woken up to the sound of what she described as possible gunshots, looked out the window, and saw the fire at Linda's. She immediately called 911. Don and Gabe ran to Linda's property, knowing she was likely in the home, and with the hope that maybe they could save her. Gabe yelled to Don to grab a hose and wet him down, hoping that might protect him enough to go inside the home. But when they kicked open the back door, the flames, heat, and smoke overpowered them, and they were unable to gain entrance. Don had very fond memories of Linda. Not only was she his neighbor, but a friend. They hung out at times at the local bars with other friends. I asked his opinion about Linda's ex-boyfriend, Keith, who most everyone mentioned to me. He'd known Keith, but didn't think that he had the personality or strength to murder Linda. But he admitted we never really know a person 100%. He thought Linda could escape or overpower Keith if he attacked her. Don also expressed his concerns about Keith's death in 2009, which was ruled an accidental overdose. He said he'd heard that Keith drank enough whiskey to kill himself, but Don stated he'd never once seen Keith drink hard liquor, that he was a beer drinker. A couple other people I met said the same thing. Whether that's important and or relevant to Linda's case, we don't yet know. When I returned home from Washington, I wanted to fill in Linda's siblings and George about my trip. Cindy, Diana, George, and I met over Zoom one evening and I gave them a rundown of my activities and interactions in Port Orchard. A note to listeners that some of my meetings with certain people or officials will not be divulged or discussed at this time because they were sensitive in nature and their content could tip off the killer. Therefore, although this next section provides a good overview of my days in Port Orchard, know that there was much more to it. Hey! How you doing? How was your family get-together yesterday? It was great. It was actually really good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Had a good time. Nobody got in a fight. <laughs> Believe me, our family get-togethers are usually very stressful. This win. one was actually turned out good. <laughs> this one turned out real good. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Well, that's a win and in my book. <laughs> yeah. I just thought it'd be best to get on Zoom and I can talk you through what went on last weekend. I met with Jeff first, the coroner. Yeah. So nice. Yes, and great guy. I, he goes, so what can I help you answer? And I said, well, I'd like to make a sketch of her injuries because that may help us. That may reveal some clues or whatever. He just handed me a thumb drive. He goes, well, here's all the photos. <laughs> go, oh, oh okay. Well, I guess I don't need to make a sketch then. What's just as valuable is they took a lot of photos at the scene inside the house. So now we have our own set of crime scene photos, which is great. Oh, good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. That's going to really, really Thank help. You. They documented it very well, which is hugely helpful for us. Can I ask you, since you got a picture mm-hmm. in the back part of the house, the carport, she, her bedroom was back there in the kitchen. Was that part damaged? Badly. It was. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's where her room was. I think her room was, the, what do they call it, George? The origin? The back part of the yeah. house. The origin, See? Probably. It looked like it was burnt the worst. But the kitchen okay, was And bad. that's where the, where the water bed was? Yeah. And it was, the frame was there, the wooden frame. You can still see it, right. but the bed itself, you know, the water or whatever, it burst. The mattress was gone. It was melted. Probably parts of the mattress, but it was not full of water. 
Okay. Um, there's definitely a dresser. Yep. You can see the furniture, even though I've seen the furniture. Yeah. Okay. okay. She had a little like pub table with two tall chairs. The yeah. frame yeah. Of those is, is still there and yeah, but burnt. And that was like, okay. I think in the living room, in the living room, and the wood stove. Um, yeah. I've seen the stove was burnt. I got a picture of the stove. That part was yeah. pretty well damaged too. Yeah. The, you know, the, the kitchen was the appliances were very badly burned. There's okay. there you can make out like, okay, that was the fridge, that was the stove, but they're very yeah. hard. Yeah. We actually have a, a little bit of a theory we're kicking around that maybe the waterbed, whenever it water came out of it, that that may have actually prevented her from being quite burned as badly as she might have been compared to the surroundings. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. Because the water would have went somewhere and she's not as badly burned as you would expect looking mm -hmm. at the room. That was a good idea on George's part. I'm like, you know what? And and actually, I'm like, well, I'm not like thankful she had that waterbed because <laughs> yeah, yeah, she had lot. it for a long time. Yeah. yeah, I met the woman who gave it to her. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> She's a bartender at the Golden Grill. Yep. Oh, oh she there. Is. Oh my yep. gosh, yep. she had it when we went out there. <laughs> that place my was a gold mine. <laughs> Yeah, that's where she hung, so. Yeah, I was there every day. So, okay, so I met Jeff, so I, that was not a very long meeting, maybe half an hour. Um, I got some notes from him and stuff, and then he said, once I read through everything, look photos, contact him again with questions. And then um, I met with the reporter from the Kitsap Sun. Okay, all right. Sounds like she's going to run a pretty good piece, so that'll help you get good awareness. Yeah. And, um, and she remembers Linda's case. She worked at the newspaper since 2006 so oh, good. so after i met with her my cousin drove up from olympia because i wanted to knock on doors and have someone with me yeah, yeah so for sure we talked to we first went to the property and talked to the current resident have husband. you talked to landlords yeah yeah they were very nice i know he let her live there for for a few months free yeah but he That's said she was a great tenant he said she, yeah, she oh, lived there for a long time 11 yeah. years they said and she was never late yeah. on rent i mean they raved about her so well good so then we walked next door and met a lady who has lived there for 20 years so she was there she remembers the fire and everything so we yeah. talked with her for quite a while she gave us her recollections and then we went inside because she's friends with the previous landlord so she was going to get me their phone number and then oh. her son was in there. He's lived there the whole time, too. So then he told us what he remembered. But I did. Did anybody remember the first person running from the place? So I have the name of the neighbor, I believe, who called 911. I think he lived on the same street, either two or three houses yeah. down. So Don Rio lived two houses Don, down. I'm, I met Don. He's been super helpful. Um, I, I'm, he's the one we met. We met okay. Don. Yeah, he's very, very well, nice. Yeah. And he has put me in touch with a bunch of other people. Like, this okay. is the beauty of how this works. I was pretty sure he wasn't the one that called 911, and he confirmed it was not him. But he said it's this yeah. other neighbor, and that the neighbor was the one who tried to get into the house to help her. And so he thinks it's Gabe's wife was the one that was on the phone with 911 and saw someone okay. running. So I'm going to get a hold of them. Oh. So Don told me he, he thinks two to four days before her murder... He came over to the Golden Grill and she was outside and she was, he couldn't remember if she was crying, but she was upset and it stuck out to him because he's like, she was never upset. She was always happy-go-lucky, but she was upset, something to do with money. And he said he lent her $350 that day and that 
I have a name of somebody else who also lent her money supposedly that day. Now, I'm wondering if that was for her the deposit on her I, apartment because that was paid just on the 26th, four days prior to her death. But anyways, I don't know if any of that rings a bell with you, but he didn't know, know what the that, money was for. He couldn't. He didn't know why she was upset. Probably for the U-Haul, maybe. He did. Yeah. He did say she was. She talked something about moving, and he offered. He had a truck, so he offered to help her if she right. needed help. Could, yeah, because the U-Haul was probably going to be more expensive because yeah. she kept saying it was one trip. I think maybe yeah. he offered instead of renting a yeah. U-Haul. So, but he's not sure where that money went to. We anyway. we don't know okay. either. Okay, and one other thing, I heard this from two separate people who don't know each other. They said mm -hmm. Linda, so we know her drug charges got dropped, like in mm -hmm. 06 or 07 or whatever. Two mm -hmm. different people told me that those charges got dropped because she agreed to be involved in a sting operation that took down a police officer who went to prison for a year. Does any of that ring a bell? I don't, no. doubt, I don't doubt that, but I know that she... She did get in trouble. And it did all get dropped, yeah. and it also... The guy that set her up ended up going to jail too through all that. Hmm. And I keep wondering about him because he kind of set her up, yeah. but it backfired and he ended up going too. So we wondered how she got out of all that, but yeah, she never did say. We're going to try to figure out more on that and who this person She never did was. tell us. Okay. Okay. I know she got thrown in jail. She today. just said, she never did tell us. She just said, um, matter of fact, she was very close at mouth about it. I mean, she sent us a paper and said, yeah, she was called the courthouse lady. But she said she just had a little, but my sister Rochelle said she had, there was a lot of drugs there. Hmm. And she got arrested. But then she said it was dropped. And then she said it was dropped because something about the guy that set her up, did, they did something wrong or something. But, you know, I always wondered if she didn't trade something for something. Yeah. You know, to get out of those drug charges. Yeah. I don't know, and, George, if those charges got dropped, would there still be a record that we could FOIA or? Yeah, there should be. Um, I mean, there would have to be some kind of agreement, right? Or can they seal that? That could be sealed. But like the arrest. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to look at the state laws in Washington state because I still think that if they drop the charges, there has to be some addendum of understanding somewhere. I mean, there has to be some record of it. I, they can't just keep that under wraps. And here's the thing. Um, I'll bet they, the police might, if they can, they might talk about that. So that might be something mm -hmm. we might want to talk them on. That's true. Ask about. Yeah. Well, and McKinney might know something about yeah. that. Yeah, I bet he would. So I, I don't that. know. Obviously, we don't know what's relevant, but it was interesting to know that two people. Yeah, never helped. I always wondered how she got out of that. Just It just... She ever talk about it. Mm -hmm. The last time she was here, I know she just wasn't herself. She just didn't talk she about didn't much. Talk. She had the shakes and cried a little bit and, and just wasn't herself when we seen her the summer before she passed away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was in the house and was upset about things. But she was just in into all kinds of things. And I mean, and just like saying something like to my mom about, oh, don't worry, mom, I never go home alone. I swing both ways. And so and I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, and talking about a shower she was only taking her i didn't know at the time she didn't have money i said lady you cannot take antidepressants on and off you cannot take the, yeah. those pills yeah take on and off you've got to take them all or you've got to wean yourself off you cannot just do that up but and down she was really getting down last time we seen her her heart broken a lot yeah she just wanted to settle down and just 
never happened. But I think she always wanted to have, you know, a kid, you know, and it just something and just, it just never worked out. When I went to the Golden Grill, I mean, everybody there knew Linda and everybody. Oh, I know. Mostly yeah. everybody knew Keith too. And so several people yeah. said he, they said he died from an accidental overdose of whiskey, like alcohol poisoning. But yeah. the bartender's like, I served him for years. He never once drank whiskey. He was a beer drinker. I mean, it's circumstantial, but yeah. a lot of people well, are like, we think his death is suspicious too. The cops told us he died a horrible death. The thing is, he did all that stuff all the time, like Linda. So if he died of an overdose, it had to be really bad. So it if it was whiskey, though, if somebody that drank, like you said, they never drank whiskey, yeah. you know. That's what everybody told me. And I heard that story from more than one person separately, that he died from alcohol poisoning and that empty whiskey bottles were found in his house. And everyone's like, huh. he never drank whiskey. One item of interest I found out from the coroner was Linda's stomach was absent of any food contents and no alcohol or drugs were found in her bloodstream. One of the bartenders at the Golden Grill, I told her that, I go, there's no food in her stomach and no alcohol in her system. And she goes, what? Yeah. <laughs> because Linda loved to eat and she loved to drink. That doesn't make any yeah, sense. That's why I don't buy that. I just don't buy that she hadn't had anything to eat. No alcohol, no drugs. Yeah. I do think we have a a decent line of communication with the detective. Yeah, good. I mean, she was guarded when I got there and she had one of the sergeants with her. The first thing they said, so the police chief wants to know what you're going to request from us today. I said, the only thing I'm requesting from you is a direct email address for one of you to send tips to and just promise me that you'll follow up on information that we collect and send you. And they're like, so you're not going to like try to FOIA the case file? I go, no. I was like, in fact... I really, our team doesn't really need it. I'm like, we kind of prefer to just start fresh without any influence, bias, nothing, and see where we get. The police chief is very not happy that I got the autopsy. I explained to them, I go, listen, the family deserves that. They've been asking for it for years, number one. We have. I'm going to publicize it. Like, I'm not going to put the document out there. We're not releasing photos. And, and I said, but I need that document so I can understand how this homicide went down. And then that's going to give us clues about the killer, which is going to help you. But, um, you know, I said, I'm not compromising no. the case. Why would you we know? want to do that? We want them to get an arrest. I finally have somebody that wants to help me and I'm yeah. getting what I got to get. Yeah. <laughs> but I have a right to it. Yes, absolutely you do. Yeah. yeah. It's been long enough. I mean, the detective said, we really want to dig into Linda's case, but we don't have time. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I told them. I said, I know you don't have time. I understand that. You're a small police force. We'll see. I mean, we'll see what we dig up. Before I even left the parking lot, the detective texted me. So I took that as positive and... Well, that isn't, that was positive. Well, I mean, I drove them nuts for 10 years, but each one of them sincerely, I think, wanted to help. They're just too small. They get called off and other stuff. Yeah. George, you got any questions or anything? No, I think that's pretty much it right now. I okay, mean, George. I didn't mean to dominate okay. the whole conversation. <laughs> no, it's fine. You needed to. You're the one that went last week, so... <laughs> We've already talked about, you know, going in April, if you guys go in April or something. I'm going. I'm on it. Just keep this up to date and we'll yeah. meet out there. Yeah. We're going, we'll, we'll start looking at some dates. That's fine. Just yeah, just let us know. Tell you when we're coming and, yeah, we yeah. can all congregate at that time because I think yeah, George, yes. good. Yeah. George was saying yeah. out there, can go. they can see us all again. Yep. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I heard so many great stories about your sister. I mean, everybody just held her in high regard and she, had a great She was a lot of, Linda was a lot of fun. Yeah. Her and I, we lived together. Yep. And oh my God, there were some mornings. 
we would get up, we would start laughing so hard at, at different stuff. And we get ready for work and we'd go down to the store. And I, I swear people thought we were high even when we weren't. <laughs> there were some times we were, but even when we were, people, it was just like, but we had some good times. Yeah. The group is good. We have almost 300 members. It's growing. Fine. Great. And, Great. Um, it's not just us making posts. Um, Cindy, you've probably seen a few other people have made I have. posts with stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're getting some good interaction. I've gotten several private messages from people that knew oh, good. or so making those connections and George yeah. and I keep a spreadsheet of all the people that we want to contact or we have contacted or they contacted us that have some connection to the case so I've already got okay. I think George we're at 52 people wow <laughs> so it's growing yeah it's working this all right thank, thank you. you okay we'll talk bye. To you soon. bye George bye George bye. see y'all bye bye, bye. bye. George and I felt we'd made some valuable connections by me traveling to Washington. We now have a wide network of people helping us on Linda's case, many of whom live in the Port Orchard area. One of the big questions we had was regarding Linda's injuries and how exactly she incurred them, which ones may have been delivered first and last, and what type of knife was used against her. Our next call was to Jeff Schaefer, our team's knife expert who helped us tremendously on a previous case. next time on Break the Case. The weapon that was used wasn't anything super special. I think it was probably something like a kitchen knife of some sort. So this could have been a knife that was in Linda's house that somebody just grabbed out of her kitchen. Is that what you're telling us? Yeah, I think it was probably something like that in her kitchen. Which would mean not premeditated. Most kitchen knives don't have a hilt, which is what would protect your hand from sliding down the blade of a knife. That's very correct, and it would be pretty common to get a cut on your own hand if you stab someone and hit a bone. A person who has at least some training would know to turn their blade sideways, and they absolutely did that on the stabs on her right side. So are you saying you think Linda may have armed herself during this? I think that she probably did. I think she probably got a knife from her own kitchen to hold this person off. Wow, that's wow. something I really hadn't thought about. I think she definitely put up a pretty good defense. I think it was a very dynamic fight. They were on their feet and they were, they were fighting. This podcast is brought to you by American Military University. Narrated and produced by Jen Buchholz with co-host and investigative journalist, George Jared. Senior producers Leishan Kranick, Andy Crow, and Kristen Kretzler, with support from Lisa Tanis. Sound engineering and editing by Harvest Creative Services. Subscribe to Break the Case on iHeartRadio, Google, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.